Hi, it's Steve Indig at Sport Law. Leave me a message. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Hey, Steve. It's Dina. You aren't going to believe what just came across my desk. We need to chat. Give me a call. Welcome to the latest episode of Sportopia. We're so excited to share our knowledge and have conversations about healthy human sport. In today's episode, we'll be talking about recruiting for success, where we can assess the trends that we are seeing in recruiting sport leaders and how organizations can be successful in the recruiting efforts. Dina, how are you? I'm really doing well, Steve. How are you doing? I am good. Uh, had a little vacation. Feel re- feel uh, rejuvenated to come back to uh, the cold, short days with no sunlight. But uh, trying to make the best of it uh, and getting remotivated to continue to try and help sport over the next uh, over the next year. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot to be grateful for. And I'm really grateful that uh, a lion didn't eat you for breakfast. So glad to have you back safe and sound. And maybe that's a really good segue to the conversation we want to have about recruiting and and what should sport leaders uh, be looking out for in terms of the skills and the competencies uh, that we know uh, sport leaders are going to need to be able to better manage the complexities that are alive in the uh, 21st century sport organizations. So maybe Steve, you know, we've, we've, uh, what's really curious or curious and cool, I think is we, uh, we trusted our gut uh, several years ago and that served us well. And one of the things that we started doing is supporting sport organizations in recruiting top talent. And we've been doing that for a long time with boards, helping nominations committees be really intentional about the kinds of people that that they want on their boards. We've helped our sport uh, leaders with respect to vendors and ensuring that that, the negotiations of relationship and what they're going to be uh, purchasing and procuring is is well thought out and, uh, and that their assets are protected. So you get clarity. But our latest addition is something that maybe we want to talk a little bit more about here. And that's supporting organizations in recruiting top talent. And so um, given that you've been spending a lot of time, you know, supporting the clients in this space, um, where do you, you know, what are you noticing about Uh, some of the trends and what has been your experience as someone who's been supporting clients in the recruiting efforts? Well, good question, Dean. I think I could spend the next 45 minutes talking about this by myself. As you've said, it's been a really uh, steep learning curve when we, when we started looking into the, the recruitment headhunting area and, and have had several learnings over the last 18 months to which we've really, really started focusing on that area of growth in sport, particularly knowing a lot of people, you know, foundationally, I, and maybe it's always something that's existed, Dina, and it's just something that I'm starting to realize as I get older, but uh, I always thought of myself as the new kid on the block. And now that it's year 20, and seeing a lot of the colleagues and the and the work relationships that I've established or we've established over the last two decades, people are starting to retire and people are starting to leave. 
the sector or move out of the sector or or into their second phase of life. And, and that's something I've really started to notice as, as unfortunately as I think I get older too, that, um, you know, I was at a client's AGM last, uh, just before Christmas. And usually I know majority of the room and COVID, of course, eliminated the in-person meetings for uh, a couple of years. So, uh, you know, coming into this, I, I expected to know 90% of the people and knew about 50 or 40% of the people. So absolutely things are changing. And we would get calls, as you know, to say, hey, do you, who do you know is a good headhunter to help support us in hiring? And, and, and rather than referring it out, we realized it was something that we thought we could we could help with the experience that we have in working with with you know senior leaders and and board members and to try and make that work. So, you know, what's happening and and what have we learned? Oh, it's, it's extremely extensive, Dina. You know, just asking the simple questions first and foremost. Where where do you need this person to work? We're coming into out of COVID. The hybrid work model or the work at home model is obviously very popular and a lot of sports gave up their office space during. So just asking first the simple questions, where do you want this person to work? Can they work remotely? Is bilingualism uh, a requirement or a nice to have? And then you start asking about what kind of person do you want? And, and, and we've done about five or six of these over the last 18 months. And what's interesting is I think the personality of the sport spills over also into the recruitment process as to the type of person that they're looking for. And I know that segues well to the work that that you do and the coaches do in, in within sport law to talk about the leadership qualities are you looking for. And I really find that that is probably the, one of the most important things that a sport needs to know is what are they looking for? Do they want um, someone who can stand in front of a room and motivate the entire room and and uh, be energetic and a strong leader, or are they looking for someone who's more strength, whose strength is on the administrative side to get grants, to get Sport Canada funding, to create harmony amongst the partners within the sector versus somebody who might be a little bit more, I don't want to say reckless, but uh, aggressive in the way they want to move the organization, which sometimes is not taken very well at the provincial or territorial level or at the club level. So personality for me is super important. And, and Dean, I know you're going to want to talk about the, the offerings that you work in um, or, or the coaches work in to, to strengthen that support. So I'm going to throw you the ball. Yeah, I would say, you know, there's a lot um, that's sparking for me, Steve. And, you know, when we work with uh, to help support recruitment, because it's not just recruiting the the uh, the CEO or executive director we're also uh, helping organizations recruit really great coaches right and and what I'm noticing is you know in the old days we might we might have relied really on someone's background so tell us your experience and you know give us a couple of people that can validate or confirm your character and maybe come in and do a presentation and give us a sense of your vision for the organization. And what I'm noticing now is you're saying, you know, we, we, we also need to uncover, is this person going to be a good fit? And how do we know what a good fit is? So as culture coaches, as integral coaches, 
we support organizations in getting really specific about things like what is the cultural DNA of this environment? How, what are we noticing about, um, you know, the kind of leadership style that we want? Because we would argue that leadership comes in all kinds of colors and all kinds of flavors and all kinds of styles. And as you said, Steve, maybe we need a more charismatic leader whose style is going to, to be more extroverted. Uh, and there are some strengths to that and there are some limitations. So one of the trends uh, that we've been writing about now for several years is incorporating a psychometric tool. The one that we use at Sport Law is the Nova Profile. And this is common, right? Like this is common in big business. They've been using a lot of these tools now for decades. For sport, it is novel. And so by incorporating a leadership tool like the Nova, uh, the nomination committee and or the recruiting committee has a better idea of, of this thing called fit. And what it forces them to do is to be more objective because what I know to be true is many organizations are either going to try and replicate the person that's leaving or they want someone who's 180 degrees opposite. And the truth is somewhere in, in between. So by helping them understand what are the skills that you're looking for, the competencies, by ranking them, uh, the decision makers have to have really important conversations beyond just giving this shopping list of competencies and skills that they're looking to see in experience levels. You know, the, the one thing that makes me smile, it's like, you know, the little bullets point that says, and other duties as assigned. <laughs> it's in that space that we want people to be a lot more intentional. So one of the things that we do as culture coaches is we will help the, the organization be a lot more intentional about the kinds of competencies they're looking for. What are the values that they want to see uh, this person reflect? And we bake that into the questions that the nomination committee and or the selection committee is asking. And so our role as, as coaches and or as, as support uh, companions is not to make the decisions for them, but we're there to help them think differently about the kinds of questions they're asking. You bring up the selection committee, Dina, and I think it's a super important uh, conversation piece. And again, from the experience we've ascertained over the last couple of years, is when we sit down on a, and, and we've created an intake form to answer all those questions about location and what are the wants and the needs versus the discretionary. And, and one of them is, you know, how much time is the committee prepared to put, put into this? And what we're finding is sometimes the committees are very uh, unaware of the time commitment that's necessary. On average, Dina, most NSOs, and that's the work we've been doing to date, we haven't done a PSO recruitment as of, as of yet, but at the NSO level, we're seeing anywhere between 20 and 40 applicants per, per job. So that's a lot of resumes to go through. And one of the things that we do in-house is we create a, a sheet to rank people based on um, descriptors that the, the client has said that's important to them. And we add a, a percentage value and based on their resume and letter, we can, we can try and rank them because obviously interviewing 40 people would take minimum 40 to 60 hours of somebody's time. So how do we get from 40 down to 
a reasonable number. Most of our clients are interviewing somewhere between first interview, six and eight candidates. Well, that's a six to eight hour commitment for an hour interview per candidate, let alone reading all their resumes and, and scrolling through them and ranking them and deciding who those six to eight are. And so I think sometimes the, the committee members who are usually board members who have alternate employment or full-time employment, and of course, being a board member for their NSO or, or PSO is more on the volunteer side. So I think educating people on the time commitment is really important so they know that what's coming. And, and that ties into a whole bunch of other different administrative contexts. Time. How quick do you want to have somebody there? Well, you're looking at at least two to four weeks of advertising to let people apply. If it's all over the holiday season, that extends it even longer. And then, like I said, we've got to now screen 40, 30 to 40 resumes. I've got to decide who we're going to interview. I've got to find a mutual time when we can interview them. And then we've got to debrief. And then what we're finding is sometimes those volunteers who, who want to be on that hiring committee may or may not have the time commitment to do the job successfully. And, and some organizations, Dina, have tried to tag people in and out. And, and to be honest, we're not a big fan of that because you know you and I could hear three people and Robin and Mel could hear another three people, but they like their person, we like our person, how do we decide? So we, we do see consistency being super, super important and then I'll I'll stop talking in one second. And the last thing that we see that happens is the nominations committee, who's maybe three board members plus maybe one of us from sport law, help make that decision. Well, then we present it to the board. Okay. But the board hasn't read the 40 emails, the resumes. The board hasn't interviewed the six candidates. The board hasn't seen the in-person interview for the final two candidates. And we make a recommendation. So sometimes I struggle with the nominations committee not actually having the authority to hire. They do hundreds of hours of work. And then the board comes in at the last second and says, no, we don't like A, we like B. So again, thinking through that process from start to finish, is super important. And again, one of the things that we talk about with clients on the intake is to say, look, this is what we need of you. And I think a lot of times people are very surprised about the, 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 the work that goes into getting the right person. Yeah, you said a lot of important things there, Steve. And, and you know, I, I think we just have to be um, really aware. We're not going to go into that here because we've covered in previous episodes, you know, the complexities of a volunteer uh, stewarded industry. And so being really clear is what I'm hearing you say to the volunteers who are going to sign up for this nomination, you know, process, if you're looking to, you know, select uh, candidates for the board and or the selection committee, it is, you know, upwards of 100, you know, hours to to be able to select um, a really uh, important role as an executive director and CEO. It is, in fact, one of their most important roles. So uh, I would say I would echo everything that you've shared. And for me, I think that one of the um, one of the points that you're raising is is something that often doesn't get covered, and that is how are we going to communicate? you know, the, the selection process, how are we going to engage our, our people, 
our community in a conversation around the next leader of this national sport organization. So case in point, um, I was really excited because one of the our last clients actually engaged their member organizations in a conversation around what are the competencies that you want to see in the next leader of this organization. And why that was so important to them is, you know, when trust is low, everything has to slow down. And we have to like spend a lot more time to be rebuild that trust. You can't really warp through trust. And so engaging your community in that conversation, I would say is a trust building uh, exercise that requires time. And then the second thing related to that is, well, what do we want to have a conversation about? You know, these competencies, how are you going to anchor that in something that's actually written about in research? So one of the things that we do then with the NOVA profile is we can help them anchor the conversation in a methodology that has some science behind it, right? Some legitimacy behind it. And then, you know, how do we then communicate everything that we've been through as a selection committee back to the board? That requires thought because, and this will, I think it'll be hel helpful to hear your thoughts on this, Steve. One of the things that, you know, is both beautiful and limiting as human beings is the fact that we carry biases and many of those biases or assumptions are hidden to us. So unless we are self-aware and unless we have that deliberate conversation, some of the people on your selection committee may have biases towards more extroverted leaders, right? May have more biases to more masculine or male traits. So we have to get that out and and given that sport right now is privileged uh to to you know white bodies we need to do a lot more to sensitize the nomination committee and the selection committee to ensure that those unconscious biases are no longer unconscious and so um having companions or people like us ask the really great questions just helps to reduce the risk that we're going to you know get more of the same and really help to uh, ensure that we're communicating all of this intentional effort in a way that's really smart and strategic, thoughtful, and will increase the likelihood that we get the right candidate. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I, I mean, I love that, Dina. I, I mean, I, I think fundamentally the first question is, you know, who are we looking for? And I, I think, again, go back to what we said 10 minutes ago, I think who we're looking for is super important. What does that person look like? What does that skill set look like? But then including that with the EDI lens, and as, you, as you've said, our biases is, is really important. And one of the things that we've recently started to do is also provide the nominations committee and education section on looking at those, those perceived biases and what questions you can and cannot ask. And we've we've had some bumps in the road over the last couple of years with some queries that were asked by by nomination committee members. And 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 honestly, I can say, in my opinion, it wasn't to be discriminatory or or, or anything like that. It was because they cared, but it was just the way the 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 question came out. It kind of made me cringe a little bit. And and so that education piece is is really important as well to make sure we're treating all candidates consistently. We're hearing things consistently and and you mentioned that diversity and i like including different cultures and different people on the committee um i also like as you said moving away from the edi lens but having a provincial person there be it a board member or a staff person 
or even a club member will help, you know, I want to say, I want to say share the blame. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, it in a positive way. Well, the PSOs had a voice. The clubs had a voice in who we hired. They saw all the candidates. They can just, you know, explain that to their counterparts as to how we ended up where we, where, where we ended up. So I, I love all that. And, and, you know, most importantly, I think what people need to remember is all of this, Dina, it takes work. It takes time. Right. We have to find the right people for the committee. We advertise when we advertise, where are we advertising? Are we going into LinkedIn? Are we going into Facebook Marketplace? Are we going into uh Indeed? You know, and and each decision will have a, an outcome. I can tell you firsthand, going on LinkedIn and Indeed, you will get hundreds of applicants. Most of them are automated, unfortunately. Um, and a lot of them, I remember one client, we had, we had put them, we had put the ad on LinkedIn. We had 19 applications coming from LinkedIn and we wrote to each one of them to say, you know, you didn't fill out the form that we required. Are you interested? And all 19 didn't reply. So that was time that, that was not necessary. They weren't, it was, it was automated, unfortunately. And again, I just think that what's important through this process is you know, go back to the fundamentals, Dina, what are we trying to do? And, and, and again, the work that we do is, is hiring the executive director, the CEO, the general manager, the, the top employee of the food chain. That person could be leading your organization for, let's say on average, anywhere minimum four years to 16 to 20. That's a long time. And I, I really think an advocate for sport to put the time into that because finding the right person can take you into, you know, the holy land. Uh, finding the wrong person is going to set you back 20 years. Yeah. And, and you know, Steve, one of the things that's coming up for me is, and, and we don't like talking about this, but I like talking about the dark side of the human experience, as you know. And so often we'll ask clients, so tell us more, you know, about the last person, for instance, that you, that you recruited, or I'll ask a general question to clients to say, is it, has it ever happened to you that you hired someone and you thought they are going to be exceptional in their role? And then six months later, they're like, where did that person go? They're no longer the person that I thought I hired, which is why we want to put in, you know, a really good coach of mine. One said to us as our, as, you know, the, the team I was playing with, you got to do the hard work first. And the hard work first is the hard work that you're doing when no one else is looking. So don't come to the pitch and expect that that's all that you've got to, you know, put into play. So that hard work first means we have to be really clear about the fit and the values of the person so that it becomes as important for us, you know, that I want this person to succeed. But how do I know that I'm setting them up for success if I myself, as the hiring committee, aren't really quite sure what that looks like? So to mitigate those risks, I mean, I talked a little bit about the NOVA profile. One of the cool things about the NOVA is it helps us understand someone's natural state. And, and natural state is where we, you know, we, we get into states of flow. And then who are we when we're in our adapted state? And what we know is that most people, when they're in a job interview, they're going to fake it until they make it. And it's not to be deceptive. It's just that we're usually 
trying to contort ourselves or conform to the environment in which we think is going to land us the job. Why? Because we want this position. That's why we've applied. But for those of us who are trying to discern, like, who's the best candidate, if we can better understand that this position is going to require someone who's more task-focused and introverted, but the candidate we want is more, you know, relational and extroverted, that person is not going to be set up for success. So I'll share a little story, Steve. We went through this process, and this was hiring a, um, a more intermediate level. And when we went through the process, you know, the job description gave us a profile of someone who was more extroverted and, and you know, task focused. But the client wanted, after they'd done the interviews, they wanted this candidate. And this candidate was like opposite what the job description was. So you know what they did? They, well, two things they realized that they were actually creating a job description for the person that was leaving the job because he received a promotion. Mm. And what they realized is I don't need someone like me. I actually need someone more like the person who we interviewed, but the job description really wasn't articulating that. It was articulating a vision of the person who was leaving that job. So what they needed to do was adjust the job description. And they ended up doing that and also negotiating between the two of them because they're so different in their communication styles. We've been working with them in their Nova profile and doing some teamwork and some, you know, some intentional uh, conversations around how do we need to communicate? What are the ways in which we need to work together? Because our styles are so different. If we don't do all that hard work, you know, you're, that's the disruptive forces that I think leaders now in sport need to understand first themselves, then they also need to be able to relate to the other human beings. And that is going to require a whole other skill set. So maybe we can move into that space. In your opinion, Steve, you know, you and I combined have been around uh, sport for over 50 years. So we've seen a few things, right, in our in our tenure as, as, uh, as you know, partners at Sport Law. What I'm most curious about is what do you think are the most important skills that a, a 21st century leader needs to bring to the Canadian sports system? <laughs> I'm laughing, Dina, because I know we've talked about this on previous podcast but i i've said this before i think being a sport leader today it's difficult uh i think originally you know 20 years ago it was you have to know sport and you have to know high performance you have to know how to create a coaching program and officials program and and how to recruit players and and now of course that's segued into a lot of things outside of sport or beyond sport safe sport complaint management um education human resources, privacy, social media, it's really difficult these days. You know, and I, I think you mentioned it about 20 minutes ago. I agree. I think sport or, or organizations are a bit uh, cylindrical. They'll hire that leader, that mover. We're going to go do great new things. We're going to think outside the box. And then after that four to eight year tenure, then they say, well, we just need someone to keep the ship moving. And I feel like we go in that cycle somewhat. So, you know, of course, foundationally, you need to have some relationship with Sport Canada to make sure that that grassroots funding continues to flow in, that base funding continues to flow. You know, and and I always, uh, I always like one of our clients, Dina, almost segregated, uh, you know, field from boardroom <clears throat> from admin, and they have their their CEO 
who does the administration, the grants, the sponsorship, the contracts, the HR, and then they have a second person, their CTO, who's responsible for high performance, performance, sport. I, I like that segregation because I think it's really, I think it's pretty rare where you'll have an individual, one who has the skill set to do both, and two, the time to do both. So, you know, unfortunately, I do see that sport kind of goes in a cycle to say what kind of leader they want. Um, but as I'm talking out loud, and maybe this is a, a brilliant idea that I'm stealing from another NSO, but I, I do like the idea of segregating the two because I don't know if one person can do it. Yeah, I I agree. And if we look at, you know, sport that was designed in the 1970s and that architecture, I call it the social architecture of of our, our current sport landscape, it really hasn't been modernized. We're still in that same kind of architecture. And until that, that changes, because we've been arguing that it's needed to change, you know, that best before date was 20 years ago. We, we can't really compete and lead in the 21st century with a mammoth amount of risks and, um, and issues that, that are facing our, our sector, unless the social architecture changes. So let's use that as our, our, you know, our fundamental assumption. What I would say is, you know, super important, probably the most important skills um, that, that I invite leaders to be, to be honing is all the, you know, what Jim Collins wrote about as the soft side of human enterprise, the soft skills. And what you and I would agree uh, on, Steve, is most of the issues that are getting in the way right now are the soft skills. So uh, things like, am I self-aware, right? So, so for our listeners here, just checking in to say, is that leader self-aware? Am I self-aware? How do I know they're self-aware? You know, a second kind of skill is, what is my listening style? You know, in the sport leaders retreat that we we designed and have been offering since 2017, we we build those muscles. What are your listening muscles? Do you listen to understand? Do you listen to debate? You know, do you listen to uh, to confirm? What is your listening? Your way of listening? And then, what is your capacity to ask powerful questions? And a, a powerful question is not the legal question, right? That you already know the answer to. A good lawyer once said to me, I only ask questions that I know the answer to, right? Um, great leaders actually are, are, are inviting some vulnerability. A powerful question is a question you don't have the answer to. So, so those kinds of skills. And then I think, you know, the, what's going to help support that is this deep curiosity muscle, being able to stay nimble and conscious despite all the volatility in the environment. And then finally, you know, you show me a leader that I'm going to follow. It's someone who is aligned with their values. Well, that means they have to know what their values are, which goes back to, I need to be self-aware. So those are the kinds of things that a nomination committee and or a selection committee can bake into their questions. And less about your track record and tell me more about all the accolades and the things that you've done. Those are important, but what's even more important is ensuring that fit. And it's as important for us to ensure fit for the company as it is to the person that we're inviting in. 
I, I think that's like fundamentally a respect move, Steve. Well, you know this, Dina, when we hire or we look to expand, the first thing we look at is personality. Does that person have the same values personally and professionally that align with sport law and, and you and I? And if the answer is no, we're not that concerned about their skill set. Um, so I think I can see absolutely the value. And, and again, going through the five or six uh, recruitments that we've already done to date, I would say personality of the organization and the personality of the person they're looking for is massive. It's massive. And understanding what that is, I think is super important to finding the right candidate. Um, you know, everybody comes in with their with their fancy, you know, and I'm saying this with due respect, resumes and cover letters, and it glorifies all the things that they've done in their career. And, and, and a lot of them are very comparable. Um, so how do we segregate or how do we not segregate? That's not a good word. How do we distinguish between, you know, who we're looking for? And again, going back to, well, what's the personality? What's the values of the sport? What are we looking for in that candidate is so important. And it's one of the things, like I said, that I, I think sometimes we probably need to spend more time on with the client, trying to figure that out in advance than then after the fact after we started interviewing people and and again you know we, we're doing one right now there was close to 40 applicants and i debriefed uh robin robin and i debriefed last night on on my walk with the dog and uh you know there's certain people where you see no sport experience so do they do they get an interview and the answer of course is maybe what am i looking for and for me, that's really an important question. And, and of course, the time commitment and, and all the other things that we've talked about today. Um, you know, I think we're closing in, Dina, on our, our 30 minutes. I wonder if you had any closing comments. Uh, only that I love your last question, right? What is it that we are looking for? How will we know when we land on that incredible, you know, human that's going to help lead the organization, if it's the CEO or ED, or if we're working with the ED, CEO, or, you know, TD on, on selecting coaches, how are we going to know? And when we unlock that capacity for the people we're here to serve, to better define that, everything else becomes really easy. So my last words are, you know, in the show notes, we're going to be uh, sharing some, some blogs that we've written um, over the last several years, uh, you know, on this topic. And, and I want to just bring in the some of the words from Gay Hendrick, who's a psychologist and an author. And he talks about beyond our zones of competence, we have access to what he calls our zone of genius. And, you know, for me, and, and you, you know, as former athletes, I mean, I use that very small little a right. Um, but I remember, you know, the best coaches were coaches who saw me, who believed in me, who made me, you know, feel like I could do something that I didn't think I could do, who created this culture where myself and my teammates were stronger together than we were individual, you know, as individuals. And so that coach, you know, stands out for me as someone who is accessing her zone of genius. And it's not something that you can describe with precision, Steve, as you said earlier, it's something that you feel. And, you know, Maya Angelou says people aren't going to remember what you said or did. They're going to remember 
how they made you feel. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe that's a good place for us to leave is, you know, paying attention to all that more subtle things. Like how is the person making you feel and have a conversation with your other selection uh, team about that? Yeah. That's a a great final uh, comment, Dina. To learn more about recruiting for success in sport, check out our blogs, which are linked in the episode notes below. We really appreciate all of you listening. We look forward to sharing with you our vision uh, of Sportopia, but also collaborating with you to elevate sport. If you want to have your say in Sportopia, email us at hello at sportlaw.ca or on social media at sportlawca to let us know what you want to hear about next. Next episode will be on the evolution of safe sport featuring our first guest, our very own Will Russell. So stay tuned for the next episode. Have a great day. 